0: Hey, welcome everyone. This is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, bringing you information about the five areas of child development, and that is physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral development. And we're really looking to empower parents with knowledge and skills so they can help their children thrive. And today's segment um, of Brains in Toyland regards overall development in children because we're talking about the effects that music has on their development. And the benefits that music has is really wide. So we're really pleased to have Maya Benatar with us, and she's an expert on music's influence on development. So thanks for joining us, Maya.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about, about who you are and what you do?
1: Absolutely, I am a music therapist. I'm based in New York City, and I am in private practice, working primarily with children and adults.
0: Okay, great. And um maybe talk a little bit about how music is important to child development, and perhaps maybe there's a there's a span of of, of ways that it does help. so maybe start with uh, maybe physical development maybe some calming effects it might have, and the general impacts on us physically.
1: Sure. So music is processed in a multisensory way, so it's really fabulous for kids to develop their sensory abilities and their ability to calm themselves and regulate themselves because we process music visually and, and through our auditory and tactile senses. And in terms of motor development, um Music is really useful for helping children develop hand-eye coordination, crossing midline or bilateral coordination, which is using both sides of the body, um, which you need to climb stairs or anything like that, and developing fine and gross motor skills. So all these really important skills that are so important for kids as they as they move through their their childhood and then start school and all these things that they really need to be able
0: to do. Okay, great. Um, and then there's impacts also that music can have on our cognitive or maybe our intellectual functions, perhaps uh, how we learn and, and things of that nature. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Sure. Um, music is really fabulous in order to be able to learn, and this happens, this is an issue with a lot of, of kids I'm seeing lately. Kids have trouble, a lot of kids have trouble organizing themselves, staying grounded, staying focused, and without that, it's really hard to take in information. So music is really useful for helping kids to organize and ground themselves because of the form and shape and the inherent structure of music, of songs. Of rhythm being so grounding and organizing and consistent, so it's a really fabulous way for kids to feel their bodies, feel themselves where they are, and stay in the moment rather than their attention flying all over the room um, in terms of you know cognitive and intellectual functions beyond that, I've worked a lot with kids on using music to to work on their communication skills so sharing, turn taking, managing their frustrations, um, which is really important as kids develop through preschool years and beyond. And then music is a really fabulous way to to incorporate academic material. So we all know, you know, the A B C songs and Twinkle Twinkle and things like that. Well you can put just about any kind of academic material into a song and research shows that it's it's easier to remember and it's a lot more fun. And ultimately, that's what we want learning to be for kids.
0: Absolutely. Um, what about How about the ability to be more creative, perhaps? Is there an influence there?
1: Sure. Um, the way that I work is very based in creativity. So it's not about um, playing music right or wrong or doing it the way that I do it. So when I, especially when I work with young children, I'm focusing on the ability for them to develop their their pretend play skills. Um, which is something that generally starts around 18 months to two years, somewhere in there. Um, so music is really great for developing the idea that a drum could be a drum, but a drum can also be a hat, and a drum can be a mountain, and a drum can be all of these things. Um, the same way that you know, making up songs or um, writing songs, can be a way to really foster this creative play and to allow kids to experiment and to see what happens which is which is really how creativity gets started when you feel like you can put something out there, it's accepted and you can experiment with it a little bit.
0: Right. Experiment and problem solve and, and yes. really learn from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's um music can be really, really wonderful for those. And those are all like we were saying earlier are cognitive and intellectual functions and, and important for children to learn. So there are also social-emotional um, and maybe interpersonal um, benefits with music. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. And a good deal of my work as a music therapist focuses on these social-emotional development. And, yes, music is a fabulous way to express emotions that we may or may not have words for, and especially for younger children, they may not have the words to really express the more complex emotions. Things like happy, sad, mad might be easy for some kids to grasp, depends on the child, but things like jealous or frustrated or, you know, embarrassed or or things that are a little more complex that even us adults may have trouble finding words for sometimes um, can really be be expressed a lot more easily in music and music becomes this safe way to express and then find a way to move through these difficult emotions so we don't get stuck in them the idea the premise behind my work is that I help children express what they cannot express in another way and then help them find a way to move through it um, which allows them to feel empowered that hey I can take care of myself this this feeling of self-reliance so, and then music is a way to really, to build these emotional tools that they, they understand that they are capable of these things. Um, and then also to, to build connections with other people in their lives, whether that be parents or caregivers or peers or teachers. It's a way to build play relationships. It's a way to have spontaneous creative experiences with other people.
0: Okay, great. So basically what they're doing through music is being able to recognize emotions and they're able to um, use emotions uh, or building tools you had mentioned and then yes. use those tools to form connections with either their parents or their siblings or other friends and, and grow and build from there.
1: Yes, sure. So it can be as simple as you know the song, If You're Happy and You Know It, and seeing if if children can come up with, well, so and so might feel you know if you're sad and you know it, if you're angry, and you know, it, and then what you can do so it it can be as simple as when I feel like this, I can do this, so offering them tools for concrete ideas for dealing with these emotions
0: great, great, now, we all know there's so many different types of music is there is there a type of music that's best for children? What would you say
1: in terms of a genre? Um,
0: or maybe it, singing, um, ah, to, okay. is it better to sing versus listen to music? Oh, and maybe a genre, too. It, that's all part of um, the different types of music. So start sure. where you feel comfortable, maybe.
1: Sure. Um, the rule is, in, in my book, is that there really are no hard and fast rules. I get I often get asked by parents, by teachers, other therapists, what kind of music works. And the answer is know your child. Um, I really don't recommend one type of music genre um, over another. And in terms of singing versus listening, it depends on what you're working on, I feel. So singing with a child is a fabulous way, whether the child is two months old or five years old, is a fabulous way to bond with them, to have this shared creative experience, and it's very grounding for both adult and child. Um, as far as listening, listening can be great for transitions, for just some downtime, for exploring. I really encourage parents, especially when kids are young, to explore music of other cultures, allows your kids to really expand their, their horizons in terms of what is music and what, what is capable in this giant world of sounds that we have. So there's benefits to both, in my opinion.
0: Right, and d- does it matter how talented you are or your child is or not at singing?
1: I I honestly believe it really doesn't matter, and it's a question that I get asked a lot. I have a lot of parents say, but I can't sing, I can't sing. And I understand that it can be kind of embarrassing, particularly if you were told in your own childhood, as many adults of a certain age have been, "Oh, you know, don't sing, just mouth the words, that kind of thing, but to refocus on why you want to sing with your child, what is this instinct that's telling you I really want to share music and to use your voice to connect and don't let you know your quote unquote bad voice stop you from this ultimate goal of connecting and sharing with your child and and i always i encourage encourage parents to think of. If you do let it stop you, what are you modeling for your child? That if you're not perfect at something, you shouldn't do it? Or would you rather model for them, hey, I may not be the best at this, but I love it, and I do it for the joy of it? And I think ultimately that's what we want to share with the kids in our lives, that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to try it and to enjoy it.
0: That is such a, that's such a great takeaway, I think, mm-hmm. that um, being a good model for your child, regardless of what you're doing, um, but having – Providing that model so that they could follow, and and I think that point you made, you don't need to be perfect at this. You just yeah, just take that risk, do it, and enjoy it. Um, exactly. I think that's a really important takeaway. Yeah, exactly. We because could, you uh, wouldn't uh, want your child
1: uh, to be to be perfect either. Um, you know, if we don't expect that from our kids, then we shouldn't also expect it from ourselves.
0: Right, that's a good point. Um, we had mentioned a little bit about genres, and um, there have been um, in the news we'd heard about this craze of, of listening to Mozart. Um, can you touch about that a little bit more?
1: Sure. The Mozart craze, uh, often called the Mozart effect, is an interesting one. And so just really, really um, a short synopsis. In 1993, there was a study done that showed a temporary enhancement of spatial reasoning when I believe it was college students listened to Mozart. It was very, very short, so it lasted about 15 minutes, and there was no difference in IQ that was found in the study.
0: So just, to, Some, just to, to slow down for a second, um, so by sure, spatial sorry. reasoning, can you give our audience a little idea of what that is?
1: I believe that the the study was, um, was looking at how well they were doing math problems and how mm-hmm. well they were uh, – I want to say it was algebra I'd have to look up the specific study again um but how well they were able to to look at the relationships between different patterns of numbers and to to do math problems okay. so a very specific sort of um of processing um and the the study did not show any difference in i q level at all, but somehow the This was taken over kind of by the popular media, and I forget who exactly. There's there's been books and things written, but the results Mm -hmm. were kind of interpreted as listening to Mozart will increase your child's IQ. Um, And this was in like the mid to late 90s, this huge craze of all these products and CDs and books and – there was even i believe it was in georgia the I think the governor at the time wanted to make it that every child born in georgia was given a mozart cd <laughs> um so it was really this hugely popular thing and now it's been there's been a lot of studies done that kind of are proving again it doesn't affect iq it doesn't affect iq Um, It will help temporarily with math problems, with some focus, but only temporarily. So it's not like you listen to 15 minutes of Mozart and then you can fly through algebra the rest of the day, that kind of thing. So in terms of that being a preferred genre or even a preferred composer, I think it, again, comes back to individual preference. So I I personally love Mozart. I often listen to classical music when I write. But it's not the only thing that I listen to, and I think that that holds true for kids, that some kids will really take to classical. Some kids will calm and ground to, to Zydeco or reggae music, um, to jazz. It It really, it totally depends. So I really try to stay away from recommending a certain genre over another.
0: Right, and as you said earlier, really know your child and see how they respond to different types of music and, and yeah. select what you present um, to them based on that. Okay. Yes. So, um, okay, did you, I'm sorry, did you have a comment?
1: Um, okay. I was going to say that oh. often, often it's a really uh, great shared experience for kids maybe starting around age two and up to present them you know, with a piece of music and say, do you like this? You know, how do you think we should move to this? Is this fun? Is it, and see how they respond. So let them be a, a shared, have a, like a shared role in this experience of finding music that works for them rather than just playing music nonstop and and seeing, you know, seeing what happens. So having that so be make, kind of a shared play experience.
0: Right. Where they're an active participant, you're asking exactly. them to give an opinion and, um Exactly. Um, and respond. Oh, great! So you you mentioned to do something like that around the age of two, and so that just brings up the topic of of age and exposure, and and how early should music be introduced, um, and maybe how often might it be presented?
1: As in, as far as how early, I think that music can be introduced before a child is born. So, and again, there's a lot out there for prenatal music for moms. Um, and it, that it's a great idea, I believe, to listen to music when you're pregnant, that it, anything that helps you relax and helps you feel joy is ultimately good for your baby. Um, there are definitely I, – I have read research and I've talked to people that say that putting headphones on your belly is not a great idea. It's just a little too overstimulating, despite all yeah. the pictures we see online of, of people doing that. And But um, – A fetus is actively listening by the 24th week. So, exposing your child to music before they're born, I think, is a good idea in moderation.
0: Yeah, and then, right, I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I run a speech and hearing clinic at Marymount Manhattan College. <laughs> so I'm very present to that, and especially hearing hygiene, and um, so meaning taking care of your ears and not overexposing yourself to noise um, yes. for lots of reasons. So we'll have another talk about that down the line, but, yes, um, still keeping um, those that hearing mechanism safe uh prenatally is important too, so that absolutely. not putting the headphones onto your belly but having it just in the environment in the room um is a really wonderful thing too i I agree absolutely so um okay so we've we've talked about basically general development um and how it can be beneficial and i've I've said before on the show, I like to bring clinicians in as guests because even though we're not directed towards talking about children with special needs clinicians who work with special needs um individuals really understand development and they really understand how to create opportunities for growth and learning and so um that's that's a big premise of the show and Um, So we've just been talking about general development, but now I would like to talk a little bit about how music could be especially beneficial for children who do have special needs in their developmental trajectory.
1: Sure, and this is a, a great deal of the work that I do as a music therapist. Everything that I spoke about before about music being beneficial just for overall child development absolutely holds true for kids who have any sort of special needs, whether that's developmental delays, um, autism, language-based delays, physical, physical needs, cerebral palsy, things like that, all of the benefits of music are just as important and just as meaningful for kids with special needs. But the power of music for a child with special needs is often that it's so normalizing. Oftentimes kids with special needs from an early age, if they're getting early intervention services, um I work with kids who are who are getting EI from birth. So they Can you they're explain what EI is? I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> EI is just a shorthand for early intervention. So if children are identified at birth, um uh, if they were born prematurely and there was already identified delays or um genetic conditions or something like that, oftentimes those children will begin receiving services from birth, sometimes in the hospital before they go home. So these – and uh, early intervention services covers children's birth through age three. So these are often kids who are getting so many services. There are people coming to their, their homes uh, most of the time, making them do things, poking and prodding. They have lots of doctor's appointments generally. And the music and music therapy, which is what I do, is a really wonderful way for a child to be a child very simply put, but music is so normalizing because it is playful, because all the other kids are exposed to music. What I do as a music therapist is make music experiences accessible for a child with special needs and allows them in a really playful, um, child-centered way to work on their developmental goals. So I can have a kid who's working on crossing midline, which is if they have a mallet in their right hand reaching over the the middle of their body to hit a drum to the left um and so they're working on crossing midline it's called which their physical therapist is probably working on as well but we're doing it in the midst of a song and there's so much joy in that in that ability to do that because it's couched in music and all the elements of music are so playful that it captures each child's natural motivation to to engage in that way to whatever extent they're able to
0: okay so those those are developmental delays and/ or disabilities that have a physical nature. What about children who've been through some kind of trauma some kind of emotional um, emotional trauma or something of that nature
1: sure, so emotional trauma which is complex and kind of a wide umbrella for a lot of things that kids could be going through, music can be really useful for its ability to help kids soothe and ground. So whether it's a child who's been adopted and, you know, there were some just tumultuous circumstances or a child who's been abused or whatever, whatever it is, there's issues with attachment with their parents music is really a way for them to learn how to self-soothe, which is what infants learn how to do from an early age generally. So I often, when I work with kids who have some emotional baggage, as we sometimes call it, um, it's about helping them learn how to use music to ground, to, to use it in a variety of ways. So can they respond to slow music? Can they share a music experience with their parent? Can they play together? Can I help the parent and child really learn how to rely on each other? And through lullabies, through sound, can the parent communicate to their child, I'm here for you, I've got you, it's okay now. So the child can kind of relax those defenses of having to to always be um, in a heightened state of arousal and awareness and really relax. These are often the kids who have trouble... Um, sleeping, have trouble separating from their parents or caregivers, um, have trouble expressing themselves. So using music in a variety of ways that they can developmentally do all these things that that signify that emotionally they feel comfortable and stable.
0: And I would imagine that, um, and we've probably all experienced this as adults, even if your child hasn't had some emotional trauma if they've just had a bad day at school or um got disappointed for some reason that in music could be a nice instrument um to help them change that mood
1: absolutely i i always encourage parents depending on how old the kid is if you know if you have a young child and they're really upset to sing to them to hum it also helps you as the parent to remain calm and grounded um, to sing to them, to hum, to to rock them back and forth rhythmically. With an older child helping them to develop, oh, you know, I know that you're feeling sad. What can we do? What do you want to listen to X, Y, and Z song that that they have identified or that you've identified helps them feel held. Not automatically saying, Okay, we're gonna go to, you know, the happiest song that we know but helping them move through it in steps, validating whatever that emotion is. Everyone wants to feel seen and heard and understand, no matter how old we are. And so helping them feel validated and held and then moving through it in a really just natural way, which music can provide.
0: Right. Oh, great. Now, um, you have a wonderful uh, program for children and a blog that you have for families. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about the services that you provide and maybe how families could also get in touch with you if they wanted?
1: Absolutely. So I have a New York City and Westchester County-based private practice, and I, in a nutshell, I work mainly with children who have special needs, of a wide variety and their families. So I provide individual music therapy sessions, family music therapy sessions. I also do music what I call musical play parent coaching, which is kind of a different part of my practice. Essentially, it's helping parents learn how to connect with their children through music, and it's a, a bit more time-limited of a service, so it's very hands-on coaching. I'll watch your chi- you with your child, here are things you can try. We talk about them, it's giving parents immediate feedback. Um, and that is a service that I also provide internationally because I can do it through Skype. And um, my website is mayabenatar.com, and I can be contacted through the contact page of that site. My email and my phone number are there, and you can send me to the direct message through the website.
0: Right, and I have on the description for the show today, I do have your uh, website address up there so parents can access that easily as well. Fabulous. So um, can you just maybe walk us through a little bit of a typical session? What would parents expect to see? Maybe just give us an example or two of some of the activities. Sure.
1: Um, So generally... I always begin with some sort of a hello song, especially with a younger child. helps them orient to, okay, now we're in music, this is what I can expect. Uh, and then I'm assessing what's going on for them that day. Do they seem, you know, a little tired? Are they reaching a little more than they were last week? Whatever it is. So generally a session, especially for young kids, is bookended by a hello song and a goodbye song. As kids get older, sometimes they don't want to do a hello and a goodbye song. We'll do something to signify beginning and end. And then the experiences in between those two bookends can come from a wide variety of things. It depends, honestly, on what the goals each child is working on. So each music experience that I offer them is tailored towards one of their goals. So if a goal for a child is initiating and responding to vocalizations, then we might do a lot of improvised singing. Um, if a goal for them is to modulate and organize their body, then we'll probably do a great deal of playing instruments, starting and stopping, doing different volume levels, seeing if they can stay organized and grounded while we do that. Um, I Essentially, it's A lot of singing, moving, playing, sometimes creating their own songs, sometimes vocalizing, depends on the needs and the goals of each child.
0: All right. Actually, I have a question. You had mentioned the word grounding or grounded a few times. Can you you tell us a little more in lay terms what you mean by that? Sure.
1: The way that I look at feeling grounded is feeling your body, um, being really aware of your breath, But for a child, it looks like a child who's able to attend to what's going on around them. So a child who's not grounded is often the one who's flying around the room. Um, When you call their name, it may take them a while to realize. So it's not necessarily a child sitting, you know, in lotus position like in a yoga class, humming under their breath, because that may or may not be realistic, depending on the child, but a child who's open and available and Energetically, feels like they're calm enough. They don't have to be completely blissed out, but they're calm enough so that they're regulated, so that their senses are all kind of working together at the same time, same place.
0: Okay, that's, that's helpful to know. Um, sure. And so that kind of leads into my next question. So if you're looking at your child and you don't feel they're grounded, if you don't feel they're paying attention enough um, and perhaps learning enough, what what would families do if they suspected a problem and they wanted to seek the services of a music therapist? And actually, sure. maybe if you could talk about uh, referral sources and maybe the type of training um, and credentialing that a music therapist has.
1: Absolutely, and a great site to look at if you're int- if parents are interested in music therapy is the American Music Therapy Association, which is mm-hmm. just, just musictherapy.org. In a nutshell, music therapists in the United States have a credential that's MT-BC, which stands for Music Therapist Board Certified. There are other credentials in Canada and Australia, other places worldwide. And um, Music Therapist Board Certified credential signifies that a person has gone through an approved academic program, either bachelor's or master's, done a 1,200-hour clinical internship and then passed a national board exam and in order to maintain these credentials you have to do a certain amount of continuing education every five years so the the training is very specific for in order to become a music therapist um let's see what else i can tell you
0: so um maybe just repeat the name of the association you'd mentioned
1: sure so it's the american music therapy association and all music therapists um, in the united states are credentialed by the certification board for music therapists which you can also find online if you're interested and that's the board certification is a national board certification and then some states do have some licensure so in new york for example music therapists are qualified for an additional licensure. So I am also a licensed creative arts therapist in the state of New York, which is a mental health psychotherapy license, and that requires a master's degree, 1,500 hours of postgraduate supervised practice, and it just takes the practice to a deeper level that I'm able to really work closely with people dealing with mental health and emotional needs.
0: Okay, so a music therapist is very different from a music teacher.
1: Yes, very different. And And in a few ways. What would be the main
0: differences, yeah?
1: Sure. So main differences to begin with are that music teachers are improving music skills. Just really simply, um, music therapists are improving social, physical, cognitive, communication, and emotional skills through music-based interventions. So that's just, to begin, those are the two main differences. And then the other differences really are in training. So in addition to having a music therapy degree, which combines musical knowledge, clinical knowledge, and a lot of knowledge about special needs populations, music therapists are trained in clinical assessment, treatment planning, and documentation, which is not something that music teachers are trained in.
0: Okay. Um, I think um, we had talked a little bit in the past about resources and research regarding the effects um, that music has on development. Is there anything you could mention for families in that regard?
1: Sure. Two great resources that i love to recommend that have in them links to a lot of research if you'd like to read are number one, the National Association for the Education of Young Children. They have a great section all about music for young children. And the second one is called Imagine Magazine. It's an online magazine dedicated to early childhood music therapy and to enhancing the lives of young children and their families.
0: Okay, great. Would you repeat those both for us? So, um, Absolutely. We can down?
1: The first one is the National Association for the Education of Young Children. And the second one is Imagine Magazine.
0: Okay, great. We'll try to get those up on the website, too. Um yes. and then I guess as we wind down our interview, I always like to end the show with asking our expert about their five fabulous facts for families. So, your your favorite pieces of advice to give to families. What can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. So my I have five overall Suggestions, and then I've also broken it down by age groups, so we could start with Great. the the overall five. so the overall five things that i that I suggest to parents of any children, um whether they have special needs or not, and really of any age, are as follows and it's just five words actually: play, sing, improvise, move, and listen. So I think that those are really great things to remember just as ways to engage in music with your child for their development as an overall umbrella. And then I can break it down a little further based on ages. Sure. Okay. So with um, with young children, with babies actually, say like zero to, to six months, Singing is incredibly valuable and I think that a lot of parents tend to do it naturally but if you're not doing it naturally, I encourage you to try it. Just to sing to your child, use your voice as a way to connect and bond and as a way to help your child feel soothed and feel connected and the visual auditory combination of singing is really important also for stimulating neural connections in your baby's brain. Once a child hits about Twelve months, somewhere in there, lullabies are really, really valuable to help them learn and practice self-regulation. Something as simple as "Twinkle, Twinkle" before they go to bed is a is a reminder. Okay, I hear a twinkle, twinkle, I relax, I breathe. And again, parents modeling this for their kids is so valuable.
0: And that's what you mean by self-regulation and being able to calm down and breathe yes. easy. Yes. Okay
1: and around 12 months um or even a little a little earlier i'd say around 9 months it's great to use songs with hand gestures twinkle twinkle itsy bitsy spider things like that babies can usually control hand their hands and fingers to some degree around 9 months and by and large that's before they begin to sing and speak So that's or before they begin to sing and speak in a way that we can understand them. So it's a great way to have that playful interaction in the music when you're doing itsy-bitsy spider together. Also starting to use really simple instruments that allow them to practice cause and effect. So maracas, bells, chimes, drums, things that your child will have to figure out, oh, there's this drum sitting in front of me, I don't know how to make a sound with it, and seeing if they can figure it out. You know, if you turn it over, does it do something? If you, you know, if you shake a maraca, what happens? So invoking that natural curiosity that comes around that age of how does all this work? What does it mean? As children get older, around one to two, and these are all approximate ages. It's going to depend really on your individual child. I love to explore. um, I love to encourage parents to explore new instruments with their kids, especially if um, if they have more than one kid who is a young age, so encouraging parallel play. And body awareness is great at this age, so using head, shoulders, knees, and toes, hokey pokey, using transition songs. So sometimes kids transitioning from one activity to another, one place to another, that is sometimes when tantrums can happen. They may not understand what's happening. It may be a little chaotic if you're trying to all get out of the house in the morning, whatever it is. So transition songs can be as simple as taking the words to the ants go marching and changing it to whatever wherever you're going, whatever you're doing to help them realize, okay, I know what's happening. I know what to do. I'm good. I'm not I don't need to, to get upset. Let's see. Uh around that age incorporating dolls and stuffed animals into music making is a way to help with development of pretend play skills so making a funny voice for you know the stuffed bear who starts singing the bear went over the mountain or, or whatever it is just being really playful I don't believe in hard and fast rules you must do this thing and then this thing and then this thing but allowing your kids to experiment and doing that along with them starting around that age once children hit ages two to three really exploring music of other cultures exposing them to whatever it is and it's a great opportunity for parents to kind of step outside their comfort zone as well listening to to reggae, to to jazz, to hammer dulcimer music, whatever it is this is around the age where and we spoke about this before kids can maybe start to make some feelings music, you know what does happy sound like, what does sad sound like Um, how do we move when we're sad, things like that, using songs to tell stories, using instruments to accompany favorite stories, so pulling out a storybook that they love and, you know, adding suspense on a drum or tipping a rain stick when it starts raining in the story, whatever it is. And then around ages three to five, it becomes – the the way that children can engage in music becomes a lot broader. Generally speaking, some kids will start music classes. Some kids are not ready. Totally fine, in my opinion. Some kids become a lot more active participants, and some children like to be observers. Which I always like to remind parents is a really important skill. So if your child's not, you know, throwing themselves into the into the mix in music class, that, that's okay that's really that's really okay it's not a cause for concern in my opinion um around 3 to 5 is when they really kids can start exploring playing instruments with other people when i when i've done music classes way back when or when i do music therapy groups this is when you want to see that that cooperation the the play that happens all together starting and stopping together listening to other people's ideas things like that
0: and that's pretty much it. Well, that's really good information. <laughs> that was a lot. That was actually really helpful. Um, Great. Really nice. I like how you gave the overall and then the breaking down by age range. I think that could be really helpful for parents. So, Maya, I want to thank you again for being with us. This was really tremendous information. I'm hoping that everybody enjoyed it. And so, again, if anyone is interested in getting in touch with Maya, her website is mayabenatar.com, and her link is on the Blog Talk Radio Studio site, and we'll also be broadcasting the archives of our shows on our website, which is kidsatoz.com. That's kids to Z dot com. And as always, if you have questions about development that you'd like us to answer or topics that you'd like to suggest, you could always email the show at info at kidsa to z dot com. And, um, and that's pretty much that. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you have a great day. All right, bye now.